Today's JJ Reddick podcast is brought to you by Belvedere Vodka. Produced in one of the world's longest running distilleries, Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all natural vodka. Crafted by a collective of master distillers, Belvedere is made with non GMO Polish rye, pure water, and no additives. Recognized for quality, Belvedere was named the ISC World Vodka Producer of the Year in 2015, 2016, and 2017. Enjoy a delicious cocktail with Belvedere Vodka today, and remember to always drink responsibly. All right, let's get started, Tommy. Uh, this is your your second time on the pod. I really appreciate uh, you guest hosting with me. Thank you for inviting me to your beautiful home. <laughs> we are uh, we're recording this uh, in uh, in the pool house of uh, the rental that I've had for the month of July out here in the Hamptons. Uh, it's been a nice month with the family, and. Uh, one son is napping, one son is running around with dinosaurs, so the pool house seems like the quietest place to record. What's your what's your overall letter grade on the Hamptons after a month? Uh, a plus. A plus. plus. Yeah. Lived, lived up to the hype? <laughs> you know, it's it, it's interesting. Uh, I think there were a lot of preconceived notions that I had and that my wife had about the Hamptons. And uh, it, the the reality has been exactly opposite. I, it's, it's, it's like a... It's the most chill, relaxed sort of vibe. Uh, it's it's it feels like a small town Americana, uh, granted through the lens of um, huge multi million dollar homes. Not the one I'm renting, but I mean, you get closer to the beach and it's just insanity. Um, you know, I just I, well, there, if there, anything, there, I wish I had started a hedge fund in like 1991. You just got you know another I mean? wrong it. line of work. I missed that by by 27. Well, years. the one thing people don't realize about the Hamptons, if you haven't been, is there there is a ton of farmland. Oh yeah. So it is it is very rural at parts. Like you you know yeah. you think you're in the middle of the country. It doesn't look like you're in you're on Long Island. Right. You go out to Sagaponic, and it's pretty much all farmland, and these farms are protected. So you know you you. You get to see this amazing view. You know, there's a street on uh, in Sagaponic called Hedges Lane, yeah. and you drive down it. It's a it's a east to west street. So you drive down it. You look north, and you see potato farms. You look south, and you see potato farms all the way until the Atlantic Ocean. So you become very familiar with the potato I, farm I, landscape. I, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at a house today. We're doing some showings today on Potato Farm Road. So so how no, much how much have you gotten to follow? Before we get to these mailbag questions, how much you've gotten to follow the rest of what's been going on in the NBA? Uh, despite the fact that I would consider this month as I'm training, but it's also you know family vacation time. My wife is is upset at the amount of time I've spent on Twitter. But it's NBA July. You know you this can't is just get the away. The world from, we live yeah, in. You, you can't, just can't get, get off Twitter. Twitter. You could be anywhere. Um, you could be in. You know today the the Kevin Love extension. Like you got to you know that that happened today. Um, last night, Tobias Harris, the news about him turning down an extension. Like, so just always news in the NBA. So I've, I've definitely followed along uh, all month long. A lot of good questions. Thank you, everybody, for sending these in. Trell and McCoy, we're going to get started with. JJ, when players get traded in a similar fashion to DeRozan, to DeMar DeRozan, does that affect uh, players' perception on that franchise's management and whether they would ever play there? Um, 
most players at this point in time realize that, you know, everybody says this is a business. Uh, and then you look at what happened to DeMar DeRozan and you've seen that so many times. So you have, it's, it's, it's interesting. You had sort of two ends of the spectrum there. You had one player in that trade who was trying to enact some sort of control on his career by getting out of his, his team that he was on. And then you had another player who had essentially pledged his loyalty. I mean, DeMar DeRozan is from L.A., and when he was a free agent a couple of years ago, had an opportunity last to go year, sign year, a right? max contract yeah. with the Lakers and return home. And he, he said, I'm, I'm a Raptor for life. I want to be in Toronto. This is my city. And, you know, then within, I guess, a year or two, he's, he's traded. Yeah. It's really interesting. So I think most players understand this, this business thing. Jared Bayless, my teammate this year, his, his saying was the game is the game, you know. And if you're a player, you have to understand that you are not the one in control. You are not with the one in power. The owners, the GMs, the teams, they have the power. And so from my perspective, I think from most players' perspective, and this is why I love, and I spoke about this two years ago, this is why I love what Kevin Durant did in going to Golden State, is you should look at your career as sort of squeezing out every ounce of money, joy, winning, team, whatever it is you prioritize, squeeze that out yeah. Um, because there's so much you can't control. When you have an opportunity to do what you actually want to do, you have to take it. And you set your own personal priorities and then make right. decisions. Right. For work. everybody's priorities are different. Yeah. You know, everybody's priorities are different. Were, were you, so the thing that he, that DeMar got uh, on Instagram, got really worked up about right after the trade was that apparently the Raptors management had lied to him, that he had asked them <laughs> and, and they had said, you're not getting traded. Yeah. So does yeah. that, does that mean anything? It doesn't like, mean anything. That, when I, I've been traded once, once in my career. And I, I'll give you the condensed version of uh, basically a five-month period. So in the two weeks leading up to the trade deadline in my last year in Orlando, Robin, Rob Hennigan and I had numerous conversations. And he was very honest with me and transparent. And he said, you know, we're, we're exploring options. We love you. But, you know, we're going to do it in whatever is in the best interest of the team. The day of the deadline, he tells my agent, we're not going to trade de- JJ. You know, I, I get that news with about an hour to go before the trade deadline. We get on a bus. We go to the airport in Dallas. We get to the airport. I get traded. Um, so it, I was like, oh, that doesn't mean anything. Then I go to Milwaukee, right? And for two and a half months, I have John Hammond and, and uh, Herb Cole, the, the, uh, the owner at the time, uh, telling me how, how much they love me and they covet me and they're going to resign me and blah, blah, blah. And then I leave after the playoffs and uh, it's crickets for two months. I literally never heard from John Hammond again. Not even a, not even a text or a phone call. So, you know, I... I Literally, and this is why like agents sometimes will tell players like five months before free agency, oh, this team's interested. They might be able to, until there's a contract presented to you, until the trade deadline has passed, like nobody's word really means anything. Everybody's acting in their own self-interest. And by the way, it's like similar in a lot of industries. It's not, that's not just basketball. Exactly. That's That's life. That's That's real estate. Until you close on your house in the Hamptons, it's not your house. But but here's the thing. I think athletes, I don't want to, 
generally speaking, I say really positive things about athletes. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say something negative. There's a lot of athletes and probably at times in my life and my career, I've, I've, I've felt this way where you, you get the sense uh, your head gets a little big and you think you're special and yeah. you think that, uh, you know, everything revolves around you and, and you're not special and you're not special. It's like, I, I said this the other day, but my dad used to always used to tell me all the time, like, it's not always about you. And I, and I've had to keep that perspective my whole career. So Nick Foster wrote in, he, uh, he had sort of a nice follow-up question for this. What's the correct attitude for fans to have towards player autonomy? As fans, how should we resolve the tension between the NBA as a source of entertainment and the NBA as a business? Oh, that's, a, that's a really good question. That's a great question. Yeah. Um, I think about that a lot. Um, I'm going to dive right into it because I, I do think there is a racial component to this. Um, that when a player and a lot of professional athletes are African-American in football and basketball, I use those two as the main example. But when a player tries to sort of um, enact control in his career, Kevin Durant goes to the Warriors, LeBron, D-Wade, and Bosh all team up Particularly in, in the NBA. It yes, seems like, it yeah. seems like there's a lot of backlash. When white owners and white GMs primarily when they make a trade that they deem in the best interest of their organization, they don't receive that same backlash. Why is that? Um, I'm curious <laughs> what your, I have many opinions on this, but I'm curious what yours are. No, I'm, it, I had uh, Bill Roden on my podcast two years ago, and uh, he wrote a book called uh, $40 Million Slaves. Yeah. It's a New York, provocative, Times, provocative, New York Times bestseller. I'm not going to go where he went, and I'm, and I'm sure anybody can sort of get the inference I'm getting at. And I don't want to go there because I do recognize how blessed we are and all that, and, and there's no way I would ever sort of uh, equate anything to, to actual slavery. But I think there's an underlying, as, as we see all the time in this country, there's an underlying racial component to perception about athletes and that's just reality. And, I, and I, so I, I think for a fan, sometimes it's hard to step back. It's like every time there's a, there's a work stoppage in any sport, right, the, the, the overwhelming majority of fans are upset at the African-American athletes yep. and not the rich white owners who are squeezing every last dollar they can who are already profitable and who are already rich. Yeah. It, Again, I, I, there's there's a racial component to this. Well, well, and not to veer too far off topic, but there's a one of the one of the uh, the most interesting things that LeBron has done over the last six months is this thing where he's basically just like, I won't shut up and dribble. Yeah, and so that's a thing that's that's been a, it's been a big thing, obviously in basketball, but then also in the yeah. NFL with everything with not just with Kaepernick, but with uh, with with Malcolm Jenkins and Michael yeah. Bennett in Philly and all these other guys and. It's. It seems like the. It seems like different uh, fans of different sports have different takes on this. If that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Like, do you think the NBA fans are like more progressive <laughs> than? Well, fans? well, yeah, in a way, yes. But I, I want to go back to one thing because you kind of just mentioned this, and I know Nick in his question used the word entertainment, and so I, I think that's where I, I understand where a lot of fans are uncomfortable with athletes taking control, with athletes speaking out because we are a source of entertainment. Um, and in the same way that, um, you know, people really don't care to hear Tom Cruise's Scientology views, they just want to go see Mission Impossible, 
Just, is that they, accurate? They just want the product. No, it's true. Right. That's no, not just so, Scientology. They don't want. Yeah. It's it, there's a there is a thing with like entertainers speaking about politics. Like we don't care yeah. what uh, Bruce Springsteen thinks about Donald right. Trump. We just want right. to hear his music. Right. Even though his music, yes, is very much political. It is. It is funny though. Making the with one one entertainment parallel for a second. Do you remember like ten years ago or so? There was the big TV writer strike. Yeah. So like basically what it, what ended up happening was there was a there was a television writer strike and a bunch of super popular shows were off the air for like six months or so. Like in that time, even though the writers and the and the entertainers basically had like they definitely needed to go on strike because they weren't being paid well enough. People there was a lot of other things other than pay though too. Other than pay, lot, yeah. it was like, benefits, like health insurance. Yeah, there's a lot all, of stuff. All that, kinds of different yeah. things. Like the fans still sided with management. They were still like, just get out there and like, like we yeah. want friends. We want whatever the yeah. show is. Like, yeah. get out Modern there, just family. yeah, shut up and yeah. make the show. And yeah. so it is kind of interesting that that people side with management and issues that don't affect them. But then if it's their job, they're not necessarily they're going, not pleased with management. They're not going to side with management. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the conundrum. Yeah. It's the conundrum it's, of of uh, of capitalism. I guess I don't know. And the thing is that this is a this will not be the last time we talk about this on this podcast because this issue is not going. It's away. not going away. It's not going away. It seems like uh, it seems like it just becomes more and more prevalent uh, every month. Like it, clearly, the NFL anthem issue is not going away, and it won't go away until um, white people understand what these players are protesting. Like there's still headline. There's a there's a thing going around on Twitter all week about this headline. I can't remember. It was from a major publication, but it, it was talking about how the players are protesting the anthem. They're not. They're not protesting, protesting the anthem. The They've anthem. been right. super clear about this. <laughs> it's so I people need to sort of understand the issue. And again, some of it is sensationalism. Uh, some of it is you know how Twitter works and just the, the insular nature of that. But uh, it's this issue is not going away. And yeah. and, and to all the fans, like. Like I will say personally, like I I understand sort of <clears throat> the entertainment aspect of it, and I I take that I do take that very seriously because I understand you know how much people have to pay to go watch a game, how much people are paying for League Pass, how much people are paying for cable television to watch TNT, whatever it may be, and that it is a distraction from times from things I, going I, on in life. I get that. I I actually am I'm sensitive to that, um, but I also would say this why because I'm an athlete or why because LeBron is an athlete, why, why does that not give him a right to speak out about issues, but it gives, uh, you know, Joe the plumber, uh, you know, why, why can Joe the yeah. plumber talk about things? Why does he get to talk about politics on Twitter, but LeBron can't? Well, that's also, I mean, it's the obvious, the obvious sort of hypocrisy there is our president. I mean, not to go. We could we could spend three hours talking about this. So we won't do it. But our president is why is a reality TV show host, an authority, authority on politics, and a professor. And LeBron James isn't. There's not really any different. I mean, there are actually a lot of differences. Uh, but but it's right. just, it's, it's, a, it's an unanswerable question. Yeah. Um, let's move on to some other things. Okay. <laughs> some Philadelphia questions. Shane we, McNichol. <laughs> this might be my favorite question we've gotten on this. Uh, on this so far. Is this the fart question? Who's the best worst <laughs> farter on the Sixers? Thank you. Parentheses, note, I figured this goes well with the butt wipes ad read. End parentheses. Shane. Yeah. Do we have butt right wipes Shane, ad send, read? Please send in a question every time. Yeah, Shane, thanks what for the think? question. Um, <laughs> that's an easy answer, but he's 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 not on the, the Sixers anymore. He he was uh, part of a <clears throat> early season trade, and then we traded him at the deadline. Trevor Booker. 
Interesting. Was, Trevor Booker. Was it? It was yeah. noticeable. It, yeah, he 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 um he caused some chaos on buses and planes for sure. That's a that's a veteran <laughs> move. Yeah, that's a vet move. Yeah, when you're a, when you're like a ten year vet, nobody nobody really can do anything. Let's talk about Spartan. With over 60 races around the country, it's easy to find one to commit to as long as you leave your excuses behind. Spartan is an obstacle course racing company with races for every athletic ability and skill level. Starting with the three plus mile, 20 plus obstacle sprint, all the way to the 12 plus mile, 30 plus obstacle beast, any racer can find what's right for them. You work hard, you push yourself through the weekday grind with grit, discipline, and determination. Bring that same grit and determination to a Spartan race near you. Let it propel you through hills, climbs, and carries. Will it be easy? No. Will it be worth it? Absolutely. Sign up for the best weekend meeting of your life and race alongside fellow Spartans like Randy Moss. Excuses don't live here. Find your Spartan race today. Visit spartan.com slash JJ for an exclusive offer to find a race near you and view training and nutrition tips. Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. You name it, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, even a wipe that'll leave your tush feeling tingly clean. My four-year-old loves the wipes. <laughs> By the way, my two-year-old, every single time, Trevor Booker loves every wipes. single time we change it, like he got a, we got one diaper rash, and so we put, uh, we put a, like a lotion on it, and uh, every time now that he, I, I change it, it could be a change diaper after pee, it doesn't matter, he goes, lotion, <laughs> more lotion. <laughs> I think they found a pitch man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right. I'm a big fan of their amber and lavender calming body cleanser. I've never smelled anything like it. All of Dollar Shave Club's products are great and made with top shelf ingredients that won't break your budget. Plus, shipping is free with your membership. And here's a great way to try a bunch of Dollar Shave Club's products. For just five bucks, you can get their daily essential starter set. It comes with body cleanser, one wipe Charlie's, their amazing butt wipes, world famous butt butt wipes, their world famous shave butter, and their best razor, the Six Blade Executive. Keep the blades coming for a few more bucks a month and add in shampoo, toothpaste, or anything else you need. Check it all out at dollarshaveclub.com slash reddick. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash reddick. Noah Roberts wrote in, Hey, JJ, have you and the rest of the Philly locker room given Ben Simmons a hard time about getting involved with the Jenner-Kardashian dynamic? And is Joel jealous Ben has a celebrity girlfriend? Okay, so, so the Ben... Kendall thing fling. I don't, I don't relationship. I, okay. Whatever it is. Yeah. I'm not on, I'm not currently like on TMZ or, um, or watching a ton of E news, but, um, that has, that whole thing has sort of happened post playoffs. And so we weren't around like the team. So I can't speak for everyone. I can say, um, a little story. Uh, so a few weeks after the season ended, I was at my house. My wife was in Tulum. She was flying back that day. And, uh, I was watching my boys. It was like six o'clock in the afternoon. And I got a a FaceTime on my phone from one of our mutual friends, Doug Rosenberg, Doug worldwide, Dougie world. And people that listen to this pod probably know Doug Rosenberg because Doug Doug knows everyone. (laughs) Impossible to describe. He's just worldwide Doug. So, so FaceTime from Doug, and generally speaking, when I get a FaceTime from Doug, he's with Ben because Ben and him are close and they hang out a lot. So I I get the FaceTime from Doug. I I you know accept the accept the call and 
Ben and Doug's face pop up, and I immediately recognize where they are. They're in my neighborhood in Dumbo. Um, they were by the the Chase Bank. So I was like, "Hey, dude, you're you're." They're like, "Don't you live in the neighborhood?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you're like two seconds from my from my place." I was like, "You know, I gave him directions to my house. I, I can't give directions on air." Same as last uh, Yeah. So I gave him directions <laughs> to my place. So like five minutes go by. There's a knock on the door, and um, and uh, I answer it, and I I thought it was just going to be Ben and Doug because uh, that's all I saw on the FaceTime call. And in walks Ben, Doug's boy, uh, or Ben's boy, and then um, Doug, and then there's two girls in the hallway. I don't immediately place them. I don't recognize them. And uh, the first girl walks in, and she's like, hi, I'm Haley. I was like, nice to meet you, JJ. And then the second girl is kind of hanging out in the hallway, and she doesn't really want to come in. <laughs> and I'm like, you can come in. And then I realized that it was, it was Kendall Jenner. And uh, so they all kind of came in the apartment and that's when I realized it was Haley and Haley and I have a mutual friend, Ben Winston. And so I was like, oh, you know. Haley uh, now, I, uh, recent Justin Bieber fiance. <laughs> which I, I do know that. I do know that. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, they just like kind of hung out. The, the They kind of hung out in my apartment for, you know, 10 minutes. And, and that's when And then knew. I was like, uh, all right, I got to give the kids tubs. That's, yeah. That's, so I knew before TMZ knew. You, so you could have made a lot of money if you gave, TMZ, yeah. if you gave uh, Harvey Levin a call. And then- uh, Ben and Doug FaceTime me like 20 minutes after they left and they were just laughing so hysterically. I bet you didn't think we were bringing Kendall over. Isn't it funny you, you escape LA and you never really escape it? I it's know. always this, it, it just yeah. follows you With, around. Uh, yeah. And then 24 hours later, the Brian Colangelo story broke. So I, it's like, <laughs> it was a good, just, it was a good 36 hours. Maybe it's me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, now, you've had that, but you've had that with other, like other teammates dating big celebrities before it's just a part of the it's just part it's just the nba it's like the yeah this is part of the deal yeah it is part of the deal i don't think there's like because like like there there is an element of like <clears throat> maleness yeah masculinity in, in a locker room that's just yeah. reality and so like guys will like talk about you know oh you know i i i got a dm from so-and-so yeah and you know i might see her in new york and so like it kind of happens all the time and you know and then you know if if two of them end up at one oak i don't even know know that what's the the best club in new york now i don't know not one oak okay not one oak but so if two of them end up at um at any of those places you know in in new york or la like chances are it's gonna it's gonna be on tmz the next day or or any of the instagram feeds and then what also happens is there will be there's spottings like they'll be they'll be walking out at the same time if people will infer whatever they want to infer right and the and the players smartly just don't respond and so right. the thing takes on like a life of its own what do you think what, what do you what is the spot in la like craig's like if you're gonna like go on a date with so, uh, someone famous so, but leave at different times so craig's is craig's is the uh craig's is a is one of the things craig's is good food so craig's is still a good spot craig's is like a, a place you go if you're meeting with like the owner of your team or you're meeting with, it's like a place you go with like an older white person, basically. It's like an exact spot. The Hollywood big dicks. Yes. The Hollywood big dicks <laughs> go to Craig's. Yeah. Delilah and, and nice guy where your teammates okay, yeah, go yeah, a lot are yeah. still, those are like trendy spots, but they're fun. The guys that run it do a good job. And they're very like, they're, they, they dress them up like, like Scor- old Scorsese movies. Like the inside looks like Goodfellas yeah. and like, so they're cool. Soho House is always still, I mean, Soho House is like a classic, spot it's a it's a oh it's you got the best view in the city it's it's i'm gonna interrupt real quick we're gonna get to the next question in a second but i I do want to apologize to um about five hundred thousand people 
um, everybody in Indianapolis. Uh, I the last pod I did, or two pods ago with Victor Oladipo, <laughs> no, with, I, with Donovan, with Donovan, it was Donovan. With Donovan. Uh, yeah, it was Donovan. Yeah, you it were was, taking a lot of shots. Yeah, I took some shots at Indianapolis in that pod, and I I apologize. Um, I re- I feel really bad about that. Because it is, it's it's a it's a nice city with a lot of just wonderful people. I mean that it's a yeah. lot of wonderful people, and um, it is. And I, I shouldn't have. I sh- you know the easy answer you know would have been to just kind of you know maybe talk about an overrated big city that everybody loves like Miami. But I, I like Miami. Yeah. But you know, I, I I shouldn't have said that. And, and I part, actually I, I I would Indianapolis is fine. It's it's great. It it's also has it all, Indy has some good food. And he's like a, I spent, I spent a decent amount. Yeah, that's Saint Elmo. Steak and shake there's, there's some. There's a ton of White Castles, which isn't great, but like there's a there's a there's some stuff to do in Indy. There's a if I were to, if, as a someone as someone who does not travel on the same stratosphere as you, but been to a bunch of NBA cities, Indy would not be there'd be it'd be like right in the middle. Fair enough. It's, I think too, like you're for every player. I mean, I don't want to say pers- Donovan, but Utah's like that's. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also also got flack. Because like people thought I was trying to set up Donovan yeah. to talk bad about Utah. Utah. Like I'm not an idiot. Like I would, <laughs> I'm not going to get Donovan to talk bad He's about not Utah. Trash I, his own I, like my brother, his- my brother lived in Utah. I visited yeah. him in the summer. I love Utah. Like Utah is a great place. Utah's I, a beautiful place. It's a, it's a, it's awesome. Yeah, they have a great, great crowd. Like I would, it'd be a great place to play every night. Yeah, the crowd's crazy. Yeah. So like wh- that, my my intention was to ask him that question as a as a warm up, so that then when I asked him. Well, what city do you hate? Were you getting a lot of? I did from, not expect Indy, him to Indy, throw out Indy, Philly Indy, and Boston. We're Indy, which is a great answer, by the way. That tells you that he's Donovan <laughs> off the court is going places. This yeah. is the best possible answer you're going to give. It's great. Were Indy people giving you a lot of shit for this? Yeah. Well, like, and then it like came out that I was in talks with Indy. So then, like, you know, it, it was like awkward. it was like a week after the pod <laughs> came out. <laughs> So like yeah, some of the the indie you know the Pacer blogs had a had a little had reaction a, to it. Um, I almost signed with indie. I mean, I was an hour away, two hours away. I mean, I was, I was very close. I had so, a five p.m. deadline because they we, they were you know basically and you know it was like twelve thirty one o'clock in the afternoon when Philly changed the offer, which so. would have been and it's it's interesting to think about now because indie's good. Indie's going to be good next year already. Yeah. And if you've been on that yeah. team, it's in, well. They, it takes they the next you level. know, they they ended up getting Tyreek, which is a, a great yeah. signing. He's a he's a fantastic player. But yeah, it was uh, Victor. He's a, he, had a whole he conversation be, with Nate McMillan. I he mean, could it was, be Victor could be the one of the best players in the East next year. I mean, already yeah. he was like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's great. He's great. He's good. It's he's a, great. It's it's interesting though. We'll get him on the pod yeah, soon. He'll come, he'll come on. Uh, one more Philly question: Who'd win a dunk contest, you or TJ? Me or TJ? Ooh. Uh, so T- TJ's probably more of a one-trick pony. Um, he's gonna he's gonna jump off his left foot. Left does he foot have a good one though? And does, dunk does with it, his right does hand. One trick work. He's either gonna jump off his left foot and dunk with his right hand, or he's gonna throw the ball up, catch it off his left foot, and dunk with his right hand. <laughs> so he's got how, two dunks. How often is he doing it? Is he is he throwing them down in warmups? Uh, no, no. But he did. He he. So there was like a low minute game. I actually, I gotta. If somebody hasn't posted this to to Instagram or Twitter, I might post this when, post the day think, the pod comes any, out. I don't think anyone because like this. we we had a, a low minute game towards the end of the season. So like the guys that played under twenty minutes the night before, 
you know, played basically four on four full court. So it was like Markel and TJ and, and Luau, and then some of the uh, interns that played, you know, either D1 or D2 or D3 ball, like they play with those guys whenever we play low minute games. And TJ yammed on somebody. Oh my God. Yeah. He, do you remember who it he, was? Um, I do. This footage needs to come I'm not, out. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm not gonna say the guy's name, but I'm gonna put the. I'm gonna put the video up the day this podcast. This comes would out. break. This would. This will break the <laughs> NBA yeah. internet. No, no. TJ yammed on somebody. So we'll, we'll, I have the video saved to my phone. I'll post it the day this comes out. Drew Chaleski. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Bill Simmons had Denzel on last week, and they talked about the Hoops Classic he got game. Would you rather A have won a national title at Duke? B been cast in the Where Jesus, is this going? <laughs> B, B been cast in the Jesus Shuttlesworth role with Denzel playing your stepfather. Everything else in the film remains the same, including time spent with Rick Fox and friends. Great, great, great addition. Yeah. Make yeah. sure you can fit in the fact that you would have easily been the coolest white player of all time without breaking a sweat, instead of being tied with every other white player ever, one spot behind Jason Williams and one spot ahead of Brian Scalagrini. Drew, bringing the heat. This might have. I'm going to contest. I'm going to contest Drew on the on the all white players are created equal, other than Jason Williams and Scalabrini. There's some variance there. I agree for for the second level. There's definitely some variance. Um, Yeah, I was going to say something that Kyrie Irving once said to me, but I'm not going to say it. Um, So (laughs) next, next, next. uh, uh, next Definitely win a national championship at Duke. However. The 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 time spent with Rick, Rick Fox and friends, I will pass over that. Um, but Rosario Dawson for me was uh, it was she was like my celebrity crush for years. Yeah, uh, after that movie or before? No, just every role she's ever had. Um, just uh, you know, Twenty Fifth Hour with Edward Norton. Oh yeah, um, I mean her IMDb. Yeah, she's just go down the line. Yeah, I like just I, I thought she, I, I mean I still think she's she's a she's a beautiful woman. She yeah. really is, and and just to be friends with her after that film would be that would be that'd be awesome. It's funny with He Got Game. I think we're gonna have Spike on this pod at some point. Yeah. he definitely wants to do it. Um, it's. It, the movie came out in 1998, and it completely – it was five years before LeBron was drafted or anything like yeah. that. It completely foreshadowed a lot of the stuff that he would go through. My, like, sort of cinema hot take is, like, if He Got Game came out now, it would be, like, a – I don't know if it would win Best Picture, but it would be a movie that was, like, getting a lot of love with critics of, yeah. like, oh, they've captured the zeitgeist of, like, yeah. the young kid, young black kid in New York who's facing all kinds of – and it just came out at a time that – People didn't really think that way about right. about about young about, athletes. About athletes yeah. yeah, yeah. Like the music in that movie it was is a, incredible. It was ahead of its time. The the it's a movie that has aged particularly well. Yeah. Um, Wedding Crashers is a movie the opposite end of the spectrum that has not aged particularly well. No. With the hashtag Me Too. No, you know, there's, so. well, there's a lot of comedies that are not. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. in Vegas. The Hangover. premises Hangover. of so Hangover. many Hangover comedies. <laughs> You can't, you couldn't even release them now. <laughs> no. um, and good. I, I mean, you look back at like wedding crashes and you're like, holy fuck. Like, yeah, it's, there's some it's, stuff in there that just makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, it's one of those things you just, you watch now and you're like, okay, they're funny parts, but. Yeah. Uh, no, but He Got Game was, uh, it, it, it has aged well. It's a, it's a very Did you listen to the Denzel pod? I haven't yet. My brother did. Well, he was just here this weekend. He listened to it. He He puts it up there with like, he he loved the Scooter Braun pod that that he yeah, did. Yeah, Scooter with Bill. Scooter's the greatest. And so like, yeah, um, 
he said Scooter and Denzel are like his favorite two that that Bill's done in the last year or so. Well, Denzel is just is just crazy intense. Like he, the, my favorite moment of the whole thing, the pot was probably an hour or something like that, and Bill asked him this like super long winded question about Malcolm X, about the movie Malcolm X, and Denzel's like, yeah, I don't really think about it that much. <laughs> he just is like he's one of those people that is like he's just is so yeah, but he's in a good mood. Like he's not sulking or yeah. he didn't want to get out of there. He's a huge NBA fan. And he knew he was super pumped about the LeBron thing, um, but he just uh, he just wanted to keep it moving. And I love it, it. And it was great. I love it. All right, we got a bunch of NBA questions. Mitchell Roy, as an aspiring young coach, I wanted to know what are some of the qualities you've found your favorite coaches and assistant coaches to have throughout your career, and how were they able to make a positive impact on you? The word positive. I think that's uh, that's a trait that every coach that I've really enjoyed being around uh, has sort of exuded. And that's been the overwhelming sort of characteristic of their personality. There's, there's just so much that happens within a season, whether it was at Duke or um, in, in my time in the NBA. Um, it's, not, it's not, there's a difference between being super positive with positive energy and like pushing people and being a yes man. I'm not saying like yes man positive. I'm saying like just coming to work every day with energy and positivity. I mean, I look back at like my time in Orlando, great example, Steve Clifford. Okay, he was our assistant coach there for five years under Stan Van Gundy. And like, he was just such a pleasure to be around every day. Even in like Stan's darkest hours, like we always sort of had Steve. Went back to Steve. Yeah, we had had Steve to go back to. you know, Billy Lang this year for Philly, um, Chris Collins at Duke, um, a guy that I, I haven't even played for, but who I love, Adam Harrington, who is with the, oh, yeah, who is with the great, Brooklyn Nets. Like, he has just this positive energy about him. Um, I, I just love being around Adam. I love talking hoops with Adam. Um, so, like, it's just people like that. That's, that's honestly who, who, I, who I gravitate towards the most because – by nature, our sport has so much negativity in it. Um, you know, you need sort of those uplifting personalities to help you stay even keeled. Matthias Campos, great question from Paraguay. 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 Fans in Paraguay. Hi, Shout J- out to the listeners in Paraguay. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Hi, JJ. My name is Matthias. I'm a Sixers fan from Paraguay, and I've always been a fan of your game. Name the five NBA players you would take with you to survive on an island. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I probably will go towards, I'll gravitate towards people I know and, and, and teammates or former teammates. Uh, Chris Paul and LeBron, first two guys that come to mind. Um, smart, uh, resourceful. They don't cancel each um, other out? No. Two alphas? No, no, no. Um, I think LeBron would be the, the alpha and then Chris would be the- Number two. No, the number two, the lieutenant. Um, I would say we need some comedic relief. So I would bring I would bring Joel. Um, I do worry that his personality may rub some people the wrong way. That's to be number three, specifically Chris and LeBron, uh, <laughs> specifically the other two people on, on your island. Uh, but uh, friction need, isn't a bad thing. No, I need, we need, some need I, need, I need laughs. I need yeah. laughs. Uh, two more. Um, let's think. Uh, man, I would say Mike Dunleavy. Uh, and Spencer Haas. Spencer, this is the thing about Spencer Haas. This is like, a weird island. You, dude, you could take, <laughs> I need Mike there because Mike's like the guy who like, 
if Chris, if Chris is like doing something that, that is just annoying, like Mike's the guy that's like, Hey man, like we need to talk about Chris. <laughs> <laughs> like what's what going on? You need the other person who's just <laughs> right. mentally on the same page. Yeah. And then Spencer is great because Spencer sort of, he is the ultimate, uh, chameleon like he just fits in with anybody Everybody. he has such like an even personality like the last two summers when i've done my guys trip like he's been he's been the first invite because he you know is, he's gonna fit no matter oh who it's just great like any group of people like he's great we went to tokyo together this past year we did nashville um he's he's the best that's that's, that's my it it's that's a my very group. what do you think of that island out <laughs> <laughs> It's I, I, I'm not it's looking, be, looking guys, back yeah, at my selections. Yeah, guys, I'm actually a little concerned about yeah, the dynamic. I, yeah, think, you, I think there's a couple people that might kill themselves or yeah, kill each other. But say, um, you're actually, gonna... one might kill himself. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's it would be interesting. Okay. I, what, yeah. We can we can we can. Uh, <laughs> there's uh, more to that question. We can change that list. There's more to that to question. <laughs> Marshall from Cincinnati. Besides the Sixers, who else do you think had the strongest off seasons this summer? Besides the Sixers. Uh, strongest off-seasons. Um, Golden State, for sure. Um, Le- L.A., I mean. Was the boogie thing surprising? No, and I'll tell you why. Because I had a similar mindset to DeMarcus going into free agency. I knew it was going to be a weird market. I knew there was only a set amount of cap space going into it. And if you're... <clears throat> retaining team doesn't want to or your your incumbent team i should say doesn't want to resign you or not giving you a contract offer that you want then you have to go out and get a contract offer and so in the back of my mind i'm thinking well if something happens where you know i can't go back to philly and the market dries up what do you do yeah you go get the taxpayer mid-level from the warriors the celtics like whomever the team that gives you the a best team chance to that win. gives you the best chance to win and by all accounts that I've read, that market sort of dried up for DeMarcus and he's coming off an injury. So there's no rush for him to get back. It's to me, it's a it's kind of a perfect situation. It's also it's also crazy that it's not like he turned down twenty million dollars a year to go do this. It's like if you're gonna if as a common sense thing, if you're anybody and you get the same amount of money from a team where you are likely to win a championship, yeah. or at least a favorite to win a championship. Or just the sort of team in the middle of the country that you've no and it connection a, to. And it also fills a need. Here's the thing, though. He came out and said, th- this was the only contract offer I got, right? Yeah. He said that. He said that publicly. Publicly. Yeah. So, and no one has really disputed that. So it's if, not like if, if the best that, contract you get is from the Warriors, you would probably yes, you would like take even, that. Even teams like the Lakers that were rumored to be going after him, they even said, like, we didn't offer him anything. Yeah. So it's just, it's kind of weird. It's a weird thing to blame I wonder. Him. I wonder sometimes, like, when a signing like that happens, not necessarily like the Durant signing because he went and got a max or yeah. close to it, but like a signing like DeMarcus, like do other teams think to themselves, oh, we, we could have had him had we, you know, just actually given him an offer. Like, because I think sometimes like teams, they psych themselves out and they're like, yeah. they price themselves out of they the market. someone else. Well, oh, this guy's, he's going to, he, well, it didn't happen with me a little bit too. Like, I mean, I had offers, but there were some teams who would be like, yeah, we're interested, but he's just going to go back to Philly, right? Like, yeah. He's just, he's not leaving Philly, right? Why would he yeah. leave Philly? And so like, then if I had gone somewhere else, somebody, oh, we, oh. We could have got him. Yeah. We could have got him. Yeah. Well, that gets back to the, we were talking about at the beginning, which is like players, they always need to think about, they've, it's just, they have, they have their priorities and they, and like, as with DeMarcus, it seems like 
the Warriors fit a bunch of his priorities. Like yeah. that's it. It's a simple decision. The the way free agency moves now relative to I don't even know, like well, use 2010 as an example. So like everybody waits on LeBron to make his decision. And so those first like eight days of eight, nine days of free agency were so, so slow. slow. Yeah. So slow. Um and LeBron I think could have waited, but it doesn't like you saw it at midnight. On July 1st, like out of the gate, you had like Doug McDermott signing, PG, uh, Will going Barton back. going back, PG. So you had all these deals happening like this. Like, and so teams, agents, players, everybody's sort of reacting on the fly to that. And again, so that's why I say like the DeMarcus thing doesn't surprise me because in the back of my mind, I had already gone through every sort of scenario. Okay, if, if I get this on a three-year you know, I knew Philly was only going to do one. Or if I, if this team, I don't want to go to that team on a one year, but if they did a two year, or that team's doing a two year, but if they did a three, you're going through all these scenarios. Or if there's nothing, then I'm going to try to go play here. So yeah. you're, you're doing that before July 1st because you have to be able to react like that. Well, you know, 1201, it's like it's all going down. Yeah. I mean, you, can, you can see it on Twitter. You don't have to, you don't have to yeah. be involved in the league at all to just know that right. things are just happening, happening. Were you surprised at all about, the, about Paul going back to Oklahoma? Um, I, I mean, I know because, um, he's a CAA client and I'm a CAA client. So I had known he was going to go back, but, um, uh, I don't know. So no, I just, it's more, it wasn't even that. It was, it was more just like a, so it's, it's, it's funny with the Kawhi thing now, because yeah. like Paul had said when he got traded last year, this in June of last year, he's like, I'm going to LA. So whoever trades from me, just know right now I'm only going to be here for a year. Yeah. And then Press Sam Presti did it, and they made the case to okay. to keep him, which is a which is impressive. It's right. a really impressive thing by the Thunder to make it happen. Right. So here here's my whole thing with like a, a, a player trying to force his way in a certain area, or saying publicly like this or that. Like, I think inherently, players want to enjoy going to work every day, and to build real relationships with teammates and coaches and GMs and owners and fans and the community. And so like that to me takes precedence over where you live because the season you're home sporadically. Yeah. You're on the road for two weeks. You're home for two nights. You're back on the road for three nights you get to live wherever the heck you want to live. Like I said this to my agent prior to free agency, like just so we're clear, buddy, like I can live in Brooklyn for five months out of the year, four months out of the year, depending on how long the playoffs go. And then the rest of my life, like my career is more important. So I think guys, to me, guys are more attuned to finding a good fit where they say, okay, you know, I'm going to have a role that I like. I'm going to be around people that I like. I'm going to be in a, you know, play for a fan base that I like. And and I'm gonna enjoy doing my job. Yeah. And of course, like like the X factor always is money. But like if you can get all those sort of things, and then you know a a, a four year max contract with a fourth year player option, then you go back to OKC. <laughs> Just go and do it. That's it. This is a good question from Stefan in Phoenix. What young player do you think is gonna take the jump this year, a la Oladipo last year? Oh. Uh, so Oladipo one is is. Is interesting. That's a weird example to me because he had sort of played four years and everybody had sort of said, okay, this is who he is as a player. Yeah. And then he took this huge jump. And then there's like the first and second year guys that make 
big jumps. I think a guy that can make a big jump uh, is, well, actually, I would say two, because I, I like both of them, like Gary Harris and Jamal Murray. I think both of those guys Same have like potential to be all-stars. Um, you know, granted how they play and because they're in the same backcourt, maybe they don't put up like Oladipo numbers, but like those those guys to me are are really good. Um, but I would say like if we're looking at like pure like statistical production and a jump, Markel Fultz. I think Markel, you know, by all accounts that I've heard from both externally and internally from the Sixers, like he he has progressed. And he's in a good place mentally, physically. Um, I think he's going to have a fantastic season. Yeah. I hope so. Trust the process. <clears throat> Spencer Roach, JJ. Sub, uh, Do you have somebody for that, by the way? For the young players going to make a job? Like his, I think it's going to be I, – I, like uh, I like the Jamal Murray. Jamal idea. Murray's great. Because well, I, think, I think that team is going to be really good. Yeah. And I think, I think that he already has been good. So it's not that he's making the jump from being a guy that's – like a mediocre player into someone's a superstar. But I think that if they're like the three seed in the West yeah. or something like that, in like a stacked Western conference, like people are going to start to be like, oh shit, like Jamal this guy's Murray. actually- And he's 21? Yeah, he's 22, 21 or 22. I mean, he came yeah. out after he was a freshman at Kentucky. Yeah, he's um, really good. It, the problem is going to be with that conference is like that conference is just insane right now. I mean, he's, it's, a great, it's a great time to be in Philly because- <laughs> Jamal Murray, I say this every time his name comes well, up. Well, Jamal Murray's the he's one that way, he's, he's, he's the way one, more athletic than I realized. He's the one that got you, right? <laughs> he's the when Omar from House of Highlights was on, we were like, the only time that JJ made High of House of Highlights was when Jamal. Died. It's fine. It's stuck fine. his stuck his nuts in his face. <laughs> There's no such thing as bad publicity. <laughs> it was great for the pod. Spencer Roach had a good question. Um, what are one or two things NBA players use to work on from an uh, analytical standpoint that maybe a commonplace fan isn't realizing you guys are doing to stay fit, work on your game, et cetera? I think most guys are paying particular attention to their body, uh, recovery, sleep. Um, like I know guys that are doing like pH levels on their blood. Like there's all sorts of things now. And so, and that's another reason I think guys are playing longer is because we just have more resources. We have more information. Like we can use that however we want. And the players that tap into that um, have seen the benefit of that. Uh, from a skill perspective, um, like I think there's, most guys have communication either with their agent, coaches, front office, whatever, about ways they can improve. And because both agencies and front offices are so analytic driven now. We have like used to get a shot chart, like here's where, you, but that was sort of misleading. Now you can get every single bit, of, like on this particular play that we ran, when you went left and you took one dribble, you shot 45% from 17 feet. When you took two dribbles, you shot 37%. So you either need to make this one, make it a one dribble move, or you need to do something do, with that second. Do you think so that, like you, you get, you can break it down so specifically now. Do you think young players are now coming into the league and understanding this, or it's taking them a little bit of time to- Figure it Here's out. Here's why I don't. Here, if you'd asked me this five or six years ago, um, I would say young players don't understand. They do, and I'll tell you why. Because all of these guys have these basketball trainers, like like Drew Hanlon and uh, Chris Brickley. Yeah. Uh, you know, I use Ross and Tim Burns. Those are the guys, brothers Ross and Tim Burns. That's who I use in New York. And like, I know Ross and Tim. Like, 
they're literally breaking down my film. They're going on synergy and looking at all the advanced stats. They're figuring out ways where, you know, where I can improve, what I'm doing well, what we, we need to continue to work on. All these trainers are doing this. Wait, I know they all are. This, and so all these 19 and 20 year olds, it's like the, the, this brings up another thing about the, the posting of highlight. That's of, what I was about to ask you. Workout videos. I have a rule. Like I said this to Ross and Tim on the very first day, like, don't ever post a video of me. Don't even take a video yeah. of me. Because if you're if you got somebody in here taking a video of me, they could be doing something else. They could be working on another guy. They could be rebounding. Yeah. They could be a screener. Like, don't post a video of me. That's annoying. It's my time in the lab. Like to me, the off season is like private time. Yeah. Like I'm working on my game. No one else needs to see it. Because I know a lot of guys that have posted a ton of workout videos. Uh, during the summer and then have gotten worse over the last three or four well, years. Well, that's the thing. It doesn't seem like there's any correlation between like great highlight tapes. <laughs> I mean, not to name any names, but we saw this with the Chris Brickley and the New York stuff last. Like you watch these tapes in Manhattan, you're like, oh my God, this guy's going to be a monster this year. Yeah. And then they don't, they don't play. And so I was curious about this because it seems like this summer it's gotten worse than. There, well, it's one thing. And, and Chris has done a great job of, of, his messages and his captions are great. He's uplifting. Yeah. Clearly, he's had some success with some guys. Um, more guys are reaching out to him. And I also understand, like, whether, it, you know, again, I don't want to keep mentioning Chris, but, like, Chris or um, uh, or Drew or Ross and Tim, like, everybody's, they're running a business. Yeah. And so, it's like, exposure is, is is great for them. And they're, they're, look, they're selling a product. They're selling something. They're selling a lifestyle. They're selling, a, you know, what, whatever it is. And and so there's a reason to do it. But what has happened too, like, and, and my, the guy who trains my body, the, my, my trainer in New York, like, he, he I, he, we always joke about it. Because we'd be like, did you see so-and-so post the video of so-and-so? <laughs> like, these, the exercises these guys are doing. But it's like, to me, it's like, of all people, Nick Young had the most sane uh, message about this. And he was like, why are guys posting videos of them working out? That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Like, I don't need to like post videos every day and be like, hey, I'm working hard. Like this, no, this is, this is my job. This is my job. This is like, I don't need, if, if you work in IT, like you don't need to post, yeah. uh, you wouldn't go to work in IT and post videos of every time you have to like, do something on a computer. Yeah. It's just weird. Yeah. It's, it is, is it's, the, it's, it's self-indulgent. Of course, but this it's is self-indulgent. This is social media. Yeah. This is what it is. I mean, yeah. this is, everyone's guilty of it. Yeah. This is what, but. I don't but, post a ton. I, I did, I posted something the other day on my, on my well, Instagram account. Your Instagram is pretty good. I posted something the other day about my kids. You're in the good end in the backyard. Social media. Like I was having a moment. I'm not gonna lie. I had a you you couldn't tell in that particular photo, but the one my wife posted on her private account. Like I had a wave chaser IPA in my hand. (laughs) Like you know, it was just like a great moment. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, I I I, for whatever reason, I was like, you know, I'm gonna post on my public account. To me, the issue is less about the the self indulgence and more. I always think about this like. It's a little different, but like after uh, after Moneyball came out, and how Billy Bean basically pre Moneyball, pre Michael Lewis's book, not the movie, Billy Bean had this formula that no one else in baseball had, and they basically kept winning like a huge amount with a payroll that was like a third of the size of everybody else. And then once Moneyball came out, everyone was like, "Oh, wait a second, we can just do this, and we'll spend more money, and we'll, and and, we'll, we'll yeah, pay the guys, and yeah. we're the guys." And so then that was the end of Billy Bean. That was the end of the A's and everything like that. And so it's obviously different with players because you can't just 
everyone doesn't have physical skills. So it's not a thing that you can just like any of us can just walk in and be like, oh, I can go do what Jason Tatum is doing or whatever it is because you can't. But with that being said, there are a lot of guys, there are a lot of like basketball players that are on the edge basically. And if they see certain things that like, why would you sort of help your competition in any way? That's, that's my question. (laughs) Is that crazy? That's why I said it's like being in a lab. Yeah. I don't want people to know what I'm working on. It's like, who, who, who are we talking about with, with people watching you shoot? And you're like, you don't need to know how I do. (laughs) You don't need to know what I do. Like you got to figure it out on your own. Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, there's a difference. I guess, look, if you're helping a 10 year old, I went and spoke at a camp today. It was a kind of an impromptu thing. But the guy who's rebounding for me out here in Southampton was like, I'm working at a camp. Can you come speak to the kids? I went and spoke to the kids, spoke to the kids. But like, you know, if, if they wanted me to shoot for them, like if, if I'm teaching them how to do something, that's a little different. But with so much on the line, I, I don't know. I just look at it like I need, I, maybe it's just me, but I look at it like I need every single competitive advantage I can get. Yep. And it may not, to the average fan, it may not sound like much, but like my secrets are my secrets. Uh, you know, I'm only willing to pass them on to so many people. Yep. We're going to run through a couple quick ones. Kezi, uh, through listening to your podcast over the years, I've gotten to learn about your love for alternative music. I was wondering what your current favorite songs or albums are right now. Additionally, what does the music taste like for your Sixers teammates? Mm, mm, mm. Okay. A lot, of have, Meek, a lot of Meek Mill for the have, Sixers. Yes. A lot of Meek Mill. We have three, um, we have three favorites questions, and then we're going dream, to Dreams and Nightmares. So real quick, on my... What I'm listening to these days, uh, I went to see Vance Joy. Uh, he's an Australian uh, singer-songwriter. Uh, I went to see him in Prospect Park uh, in June uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, he was fantastic. So I've li- been listening to a lot of both his new album and uh, and his first album. Um, there's another band. <laughs> there's a song called Ohio from Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness that I'm particularly keen on right now. Um, I'll just go to my, my, my playlist I've been listening to. Uh, there's also a singer-songwriter uh, from Northern Ireland named Foy Vance that I got into last year that I've been listening to. Um, I listen to a lot of Judah and the Lion. Um, those guys are from Tennessee. Um, uh, and then, you know, the old classics. By the way, there's a, there's a private Killers concert this mm-hmm. weekend out here in the Hamptons. You going? So we, we have guests this weekend. I have two tickets. They can't get me anymore, oh. but there's four of us. Oh, no. So we are considering sending the wives home. And just I think that me, might be me, I think that, my friend going. I think you might have to do that. I mean, it's too, it might be too much to pass on. You might have to. <laughs> um, Joel, Joel Tome what, writes in, what books are you reading? I read The Art of Fielding because it was mentioned in your pod last year, and it was awesome. Uh, there was a, a book my mom gave me for my birthday that I read in Italy. Um, it's called Ordinary Grace. It was a novel uh, about brothers growing up in small town Minnesota in the 1960s. Uh, I cried pretty much the whole second half of the book. Uh, would highly recommend it. Is it, it. new? Uh, yeah, it's new. And then, um, you know, I, got, like, I, I know I shout out Richard Rohr all the time, but like I read his devotional every day. Um, I, I really, I'm not just saying this, like it, it doesn't matter what religion you are, or even if you're not religious, like I would highly recommend subscribing to Richard Rohr's daily devotional, um, his perspective, like lately he's been doing social justice devotionals, politics devotionals, um, devotionals about the economy, devotionals about uh, Mother Nature. Like it doesn't matter what you believe and whether or not you believe Jesus was who he said he was. I uh, would highly recommend Richard Rohr. Something here, everybody. 
that's it for the questions. Uh, thank you, everybody, for sending in. This was a, this is a particularly good uh, good round. <laughs> this is fun. This is fun. I I feel like we had some great questions. Um, like I always say, thank you so much for listening. Um, very appreciative. Also, thank you for your patience uh, for the weeks in between pods. Um, if you haven't listened to the Missy Robbins pod yet, I would highly recommend that. I thought she was a fantastic guest. Very insightful. Uh, Love the conversation with her. And obviously the, the pod before that was the Donovan Mitchell pod. Um, and that's, that's also a great pod. So would highly recommend both those pods if you haven't listened to them yet. Tommy, thanks as always. And uh, appreciate you listening. Thanks for the questions. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. You name it. Shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, even a wipe that'll leave your tush feeling tingly clean. And here's a great way to try a bunch of Dollar Shave Club's products. For just five bucks, you can get their daily essential starter set. I love it. It comes with body cleanser, one wipe Charlie's, their amazing butt wipes, their world famous shave butter, and their best razor, the six blade executive. Keep the blades coming for a few more bucks a month and add in shampoo, toothpaste, or anything else you need. Check it all out at dollarshaveclub.com slash reddick. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash reddick.